Welcome to Highly Volatile, an unfiltered podcast for real-life professional traders, investors, and top executives. To be the best, you need your thoughts and perspectives challenged by the best. This podcast series features some of the most thought-provoking and disruptive minds in both business and investing. My name is Kevin Van Trump, and I'm joined each podcast by my good friend, legendary trader, and angel investor, Andy Daniels. Together, we attempt to challenge the conventional and gain a better understanding of the disruptor. We search high and low for wealth hacks and exciting new investment opportunities. But at the same time, try to uncover hidden pitfalls or unforeseen changes coming our direction that might rock our worlds. We hope you're challenged by our unfiltered thoughts and conversations and enjoy our highly volatile podcast. And please remember, there's risk in trading futures and options. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources, conditions for you to buy or sell any commodity, any stock, or any type of other investment. So make sure you use the podcast as an educational tool to broaden your horizons and maybe add a bit more perspective. Hi, this is Kevin Van Trump with another episode of Highly Volatile. I got my good friend Andy Daniels on here with a couple of special guests, and we're excited to uh, give you our opinions and thoughts here as, as we kind of turn the corner into fall and head into the uh, fourth quarter. It's been a wild ride. We haven't been on for a while for a podcast, so Andy, glad to have you on. You want to welcome our guests, and we'll get this thing rolling. Yeah, it sounds great, Kevin. Um, well, uh, to start off with, we have uh, – Probably it's been a while since we've done one. You're right, um, but we have Mark Bishop on uh, for a return engagement. Uh, very popular uh, uh, thinker and uh, thought provoker. Um, Mark's been pretty much everywhere in the grain business. Uh, only one I think that uh, has a little seniority on me, but um, certainly is one of the more active traders I know in both the uh, cash uh, markets as well as uh, the futures uh, trading and brokerage side of the business. So, Mark, welcome back. Glad to have you. And uh, as an added bonus, uh, we have another individual uh, joining us today, uh, um, Dakin uh, Bushner. And uh, Dakin uh, hails from um, uh, Northeast Colorado. He went to Iowa State. He was with Gabalon for a while, trading corn, soybeans, Durham, and uh, set up an office for Atterbury out in Denver. Um, and uh, kind of traded uh, across the board. He joined Mark in 2020, um, and you know brokers a lot of sieve uh, corn and beans, as well as uh, truck grain in uh, Colorado and Southwest Kansas. Uh, and uh, Dakin, it's great to have you uh, join us as well. Mark uh, speaks highly of you, and uh, we look forward to some of your insights uh, as we progress this conversation today. So. I guess I'll kick it off, um, just kind of giving a little overview of what we had come at us yesterday from uh, the uh, September stocks report. Um, Corn-wise, you know, we, we came out with a uh, stocks number at uh, billion three seventy-seven, which was certainly below the low end of expectations. Um, and if you believe that, it, then we're, our carryout for 22-23 is probably closer to a billion, billion one. And, you know, that's kind of what we consider pipeline minimums with a 172.5 yield. So, you know, it's a bullish number, um, as some had suspected. I know, Kevin, you were a little bit on that bullish side as well, uh, or in anticipation of that possibility of dropping uh, last year's uh, stocks uh, numbers. And, um, you know, it feels to me that under that, under that scenario, uh, corn's going to be fairly well supported in here. Um, Seven dollars uh, probably is going to be an opportunity somewhere along the line in the not too distant future to uh, maybe get some more sales on. But we can kind of talk about that as we go forward. And you know, the key is going to be export demand. And with a strong dollar, strongest we've seen in 25 plus years, um, you know, that really does make us this residual supplier of the world. So. You know, we, we uh, have more people who think this crop could actually, the current one growing, could get down a little smaller in size. And, you know, you get below a buck seventy, 170 yield, and the math gets real hard to ration, uh, unless, of course, we ration it through uh, lower exports because of the strong dollar. 
um, bean-wise. Uh, the story seems to be a little bit of the opposite of that. But, you know, you've seen the corn bean rate spread get into a pretty um, uh, tight ratio lately. Uh, but we had a 274 million uh, stocks number. Um, you know, certainly at the higher end of expectations. Um, you know, that probably takes the carryout this year up closer to 234 million bushels. You know, and assuming 200 million is the minimum pipeline, like a billion is for corn, um, you know, we have some room uh, for yields to slide uh, from here, from that 50.50 number we're currently working with, um, and still be okay, especially with a strong dollar, you know, which has been limiting nearby demand and sending everything down to South America and some changes in Brazilian or Argentinian uh, uh, tax uh, laws lately is. You know, made them kind of the uh, darling for uh, Chinese imports. So, you know, that coupled with the fact that we're looking at a 150 million ton type Brazilian crop right now and getting good early rains and crops off to a good start. So, you know, it's a little bit different. Uh, I think that the uh, bean market has got some headwinds here. And, um, you know, I guess it's really going to boil down to. our export picture and how that goes, but uh, right now I'd say you'd have to lean a little on the negative side from this report, at least from uh, the corn market or the bean market. And you know, wheat it remains slightly bullish. I guess I would have to say, you know, down 133 million bushels um, in the 2022 production, coming primarily out of hard, some out of spring, and a little out of Durham. And um, you know, you couple that with uh, concerns over the Argentinian crop. Uh, it really says that non-Black Sea supplies are tight, and you know the futures markets will continue to, uh, you know, roller coaster uh, ride the roller coaster of Russian-Ukrainian headlines. Um, and you know that is kind of my sum and summation of the report. Uh, but I guess I'd like to kind of, you know, take it back and, and, and see what other people might have in terms of perceptions of the report and uh, what the expectations are from both a price uh, perspective as well as a a spread perspective. So with that in mind, why don't we uh, uh, send it back to uh, Mark Bishop. And, Mark, why don't you give us your thoughts? Um, You summed it up pretty good, Andy. Um, If you just take the stocks numbers um, and then plug in everything else and the reduction in it, you get a 1.07 carryover on corn, um, 7.2. I think that's uh, 7.5 stocks to use. I, I didn't write that down, but I think that. And that's really tight. Um, but like you also mentioned, uh, exports are going to probably need to be trimmed. We're losing exports right now. We have this major cluster thing going on with barge freight. Um, you know, they're, they're bottoming out. Drafts have been cut. Arco, Artco cut drafts to like eight feet. Nearby barge rate on the Illinois River, I believe I saw 1,800% on 2,000. Um, I started with Cargill on the Illinois River, in, and uh, <laughs> back in the day we were trading, you know, tariff and under, and um, that's just a huge number. I don't think I've ever seen it that big. Um, that's going to add to the difficulty in getting enough grain to export. Um, and so we're going to lose some right here in the front end. The rail market, I, I believe UP cars are bid 1500 and There's not an offer. Um, we're just going to have a hard time getting grain to the export corridors, and that's going to hurt the exports right off, you know, right off the top. Um, so I think we've already cut some. Um, we could make it up, I suppose, if China decided to buy a lot of corn or something like that. Um, but we've already begun to cut. Ethanol margins aren't very good. Um, Dakin's better than I am at the other factors. He, he's, uh, I mostly just pay attention to export. He was saying ethanol's not as good and all that. So, um, that's, that's when I look at the corn, that's what I see. I think the carryover, if the government crop stays at 172.5, um, it'll be bigger than that 1.07, um, but hard to say how much. And, you know, the early yields were coming in terrible, that we were saying. But lately, the yields, I've been seeing more yields coming in, and they're saying better than expected, farmer exceptionally pleased, um, surprisingly a record for this crop, for this farmer, 
You know, so the later yields have been getting better. I was going to say that 172.5 is too high, but right now I don't think it's necessarily too high. I think uh, for lack of a better um, starting point, I'm going to just have to agree with the USDA. And uh, that's what I have to say about corn. What do you see in beans? Well, just like you said, if you take that 34 down to the bottom, you have a 234 carryover um, pipeline. Um, and, I, and I want to go back and say both beans and corn. I was a little surprised the bean number went up on the stocks. I wasn't a bit surprised by the corn number. We feel really, really tight. You know, it's just really hard to get anything. Um, you know, back to corn, I originate for Argo up there, and we had plenty of railbot, but with all the rejected cars and with all the meltdowns on the various railroads, and then, the, you know, the quality went bad. There was no corn left, really, that uh, was merchantable grade tributary um, up there by rail on the WSOR. And so I think, you know, I, 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 didn't ex- I expected us to be very tight. Beans, I, I, beans felt really tight. You had that huge inverse. At times it looked like the inverse was bigger than it should have been, you know, justified by the cash market. But the problem is, Nobody wanted to really deliver beans, you know. I mean, it's hard to, hard to originate enough beans to the river. The, uh, the container people and processors were paying so much that you'd look at a $2 inverse, you'd do your math, and say, oh, that's, you know, that's a little too much. But, you know, the guys that didn't deliver, I understand why they didn't. Um, and then at the end we got some. Um, but I, uh, I think the beans depends on how much demand we're going to lose because of what Argentina did with their currency. And like you say, the dollar, I'm sure we'll talk about the dollar more later, but there's, you know, that's been a uh, headwind for U.S. Um, so, you know, in, in, I, I guess I just have to go with the government there on yield as well. Yeah, hard to argue that. <laughs> Do you see any surprises in the wheat market? Um, you're going to have to talk to Dakin about wheat. I just don't pay any attention. I only okay. get involved in wheat when something gets crazy. I, the last time I got involved in wheat was when all these people, when the Ukraine-Russia thing, were buying Chicago wheat, and uh, I thought they should be buying the other wheats. So at uh, some point I decided to um, take advantage of that. But that's for me to be, even pay much attention to wheat, it really has to be out of line. Yep, yep, I hear you there. Well, thanks, Mark. Hey, Dakin, a uh, question for you. You know, and, and I'd like to yes, hear sir. your thoughts on wheat, but before we get into that, I'd I I maybe get into that first, but then I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about uh, logistics and, uh, you know, dislocations of grain, as Mark kind of alluded to. But uh, you, you, uh, you, you are the wheat maven, apparently. Uh, what are your thoughts on wheat, and uh, what, what do you see – is there destiny in that regard? Well, I thought the report was quite interesting. Uh, you know, we saw big reductions in, in uh, production in all subclasses. Um, but we didn't see, you know, we were, we were right in line with expectations on carryout, so, or on uh, uh, current stock. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, we uh, get on Wadi here in about 10 days. Um, I mean, I, I just think the, the function of the wheat market right now is to, to stay high enough that we don't feed too much. Um, I think that's the function in terms of price. We just need to stay elevated enough that we don't feed a lot. You know, we are tight domestically, um, hard wheat especially. Um, you know, not surprised to see inverses in uh, hard wheat. And, uh, you know, Chicago, you know, we are tight balance sheet-wise. Uh, we had a bigger crop this year, but... We'll probably continue to see uh, nice carries in Chicago just because of the, the structure of the cash in the east and, uh, you know, the fact that we've got uh, springs and, and low-falling number and high vomitoxin uh, stocks stuck in the delivery zone. Um, so I uh, really think wheat's kind of a follower right now. Um, like I said, I think we just need to stay above corn, keep it out of the feed ration. Um, obviously, lots of geopolitical problems over in Russia, um, Ukraine, you know, any sort of uh, – any sort of nuclear um, risk, I think, given a lot, the market a lot of jitters right now. Um, me, me as well. Hard to, hard to hold positions. Hard to have a, a really great opinion. Um, you know, moving forward with so much geopolitical risk on the horizon. But uh, certainly a, a story of not necessarily total global stocks, but you know, available stocks to the marketplace. Oh yeah. 
Well, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, some of the issues from uh, low water levels uh, along the river systems to uh, inability at times to get uh, uh, rail freight, um, you know, it, it, it's not surprising we're seeing the cash markets as strong as they are, but it is surprising, you know, that, you know, this could go from bad to worse if you really, uh, you know, continue this uh, drought scenario on the river systems and back a lot of stuff up in the interior, particularly when you look at some of these just ex- historical high cash markets. You know, how, how do you see that playing out? How do, are, are you, where do you see the, 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 the freight situation, both in terms of rail and barge, um, you know, evolving, and what kind of insights do you, do you care to share on that front? Well, I, I think we could probably dive into corn. I think it's the best example of kind of dislocations uh, in cash and, and basis markets, you know, certainly east versus west. Um, you know, we're trading historical basis premiums in the southwest right now. Um, levels that, that, you know, I would um, I, w- I would tell you that you generally don't see these type of levels until we're at the very end of a crop year in a, in a very tight, uh, tight crop year. So, you know, we are trading pipeline-type basis levels in the southwest for – uh, harvest delivery, which uh, is kind of mind-boggling. Um, you know, on the flip side, we've talked about export headwinds. Um, I certainly think that's the case. Um, and, you know, the barge the barge disaster that we're dealing with right now is, you know, potentially going to create more headwinds for corn um, on exports. I think it's a bigger deal for beans up front here. Um, but certainly think uh, that could that could certainly affect the cash markets in the West. Um, you know, if we back up a lot of this eastern corn into the interior because of the barge freight, um, and the farmer starts giving it to us. I, I do think you're going to see a scenario where um, you can see rail freight go higher as um, exporters reach for rail freight to try to backfill barge logistics at the Gulf, um, you know, and, and you could you could paint that as a bullish picture to, to destination markets or you could paint it as a, a bearish picture in the interior. And I think right now it really just depends on the velocity that the farmer sells the harvest here. And how are they? Uh, how are you seeing that marketing take place? I was surprised to see as much on-farm store uh, corn stored as it's being stored right now uh, in the report. But, but how are you? Uh, how are you seeing that play out? And what are your farm contacts saying about marketing? Is it is it uh, sell it off the combine or is it uh, put it in the bins and let's see what happens? Well, I mean, I think there's a, a lot of debate in the industry about that. Um, you know, I think common conception amongst commercial grain is that uh, the farmer's going to sell the beans first, uh, as they quite often do. Um, you know, I personally, I sit back and I look at uh, cost of carries. I look at interest rates. I look at, um, you know, the, the difficulty that we may have uh, on the demand side of the balance sheet, both corn and beans. And, you know, I look at flat price, and especially in areas where, you know, I sit, you know, I mean, you can – you can trade new crop corn over eight dollars um, in eastern Colorado right now. I, I just don't see a lot of reason to be sitting on corn, but that doesn't mean that the farmer's not going to sit on it. So I think a lot of uh, there's there's a lot of reasons for the farmer to market their crop across the scale this year. Whether he does or not um, is yet to be seen. So that's a question we're all asking ourselves right now. <laughs> well, good, good. Thank you, Daddy. Uh, when you, we, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into different subjects as we go forward, but uh, why don't you kind of wrap up your thinking on, uh, on the grain markets in terms of, uh, you know, where we are and where we're going. Yeah, I, you know, my whole thoughts are I've, I've become much less of an S&D trader or traditional S&D trader in the last few years and more of a headline trader, I guess you would call it, and just because I think the dynamics of the markets have changed and the money in the markets have changed, so... You know, I'm more focused. Yes, the S&Ds are going to ultimately come home to roost, and I think, you know, you're going to see some day-to-day swings because of it. But I'm probably more interested in more maneuvering my positions around uh, based on the bigger macro fundamentals, whether it's the dollar, what's happening in Russia, or I should say in Ukraine with Russia. Uh, What we're seeing happen in Brazil, I got my ass kicked a little bit on Friday, uh, shit, you know, I've been sitting there holding some bearish bean positions and uh, shit, just treading water. I was up maybe a little bit. Decided to change my mind uh, Thursday night into Friday morning just based on the Brazilian election and the way things are just breaking loose over there. And we're going to probably see some mass chaos, I would suspect, tomorrow. And um, 
you know, I was just like, man, if these headline traders get all over this thing again, you know, they could pop beans pretty hard to the upside. So I get long beans thinking that the report, the quarterly, I mean, I knew it could, it could have a chance to be a little bit bearish, but I, I wasn't expecting the 274 number. So uh, I was surprised to see that. Obviously, took a little ass beating on Friday. So I'm sitting here scratching my head now as we go into the weekend. Hell, I was holding the winning position and then just reversed and turned it into a loser here. So um, I don't know, but, you know, I, I'm with you guys. I think there's a ton of unknowns. If you want to talk farmer specifics, I mean, it feels like to me, the farmers pretty tight fist that don't want to make any new sales. The, the the talk out on the farms is hell. A lot of people sold early last year and were pissed that they missed the run, so they're like, we ain't gonna let that happen this year. Well, you guys know <laughs> notoriously how that turns out. Uh, I, I I don't like that. I, I've been telling some of my guys. I said. I would say sell it. You know, we've had some, Mark, like Mark was saying, as of late, guys coming in saying, hey, we're 40 bushels better than we thought. We're 50 better than we thought. And I'm saying the same as Dank. And I'm like, I'd say sell it right now. Uh, count your blessings. Sell into the hot, uh, you know, the hot basis and and move on. But a lot of them are saying, nah, we don't want to do that because last year we sold too early and we missed it. And I said, well, <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm hesitant to uh, – to be on that front. So, I, yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement with everyone else. I'm worried about demand as we move forward. The relations we have with China are iffy at best, and the Russian-Ukraine situation, I I don't know. We, I was on a call earlier today with some bigger hedge fund guys, and, I mean, they think that – they think Putin might be fairly close to a ceasefire within the next week or two. And I guess he got to pull out of Lyman to today or Saturday or yesterday or last night and – that was one of their bigger uh, points where they were holding a lot of supply. And they said maybe he's just going to declare these territories and kind of take a knee here for a minute. But I, I just don't know, guys. I'm, I am I am stumped on that one. I, I, I'm definitely – I think I'd rather be bullish wheat than bearish wheat just because I don't know what's going to happen in Ukraine. I feel like they're still going to struggle to get bushels out. I think Russia's uh, – Massive crop, well, still, they're going to struggle logistically. And so, you know, the world just feels like, to me, uh, you know, there's some opportunity still there in the wheat market to move higher. I think there's a lot of uncertainty in Argentina right now, a ton of uncertainty in Brazil. That worries me if the world's more reliant on South America for beans, and those two countries are seems to be coming unhinged a little bit. Uh, I think you could see the bigger traders add some risk premium. So, God, the balance sheet, I'm with you guys on the S&Ds, but I don't know if it matters that much in the grand scheme of things as we as we see this money flow uh, looking for new homes and, and shifting around. So I'll tell you, Andy, I don't think it's easy right now, for sure. I'm not, I'm not seeing any real easy shots on the court. On the court. No, no, I agree with that. It's, it's uh, <laughs> I, I have probably the smallest grain positions I've had on in a year at the moment, uh, just because of all that uncertainty you described and, uh, you know, the spreads are already a carries and how much more of a carry, uh, you know, that's, that's just, uh, that's just kind of fine tuning the gorilla. Um, let's, let's, let's ask as a consensus, what, you, I mean, tell us what the dollar's going to do, how the Fed's going to play this out. I mean, maybe that, you know, if we knew that we could have some better answers, I think. What do you guys think on the dollar? Anybody? Um, I think it's near a top, if not having already topped. Um, I keep the dollar chart up here on my screen. We had a key reversal. I guess that would have been Wednesday. Um, the Fed is going to keep tightening. Powell, they've been shooting Powell up with a bunch of testosterone, and he, and, uh, he wants to show Volcker who's who, and he's going to keep doing it. Um, but I think people know that now. I think it's pretty much priced in the market. Um, other countries um, recently, Japan and England, have had to intervene, Japan being a big, you know, importer of everything. Um, I think that people will have to continue, have to keep intervening. And, you know, right now we're just, you know, the best-looking horse in the glue factory is all we are. So I, I think it's – I'm not calling the top, but the top might be in. Um, that Wednesday key reversal – um, was, you know, 
pretty clear from a very high level, um, like a 20-year high. So I, I, you know, I'd like to see it fall through the downside, to be honest with you. As you know, uh, Andy, I've kind of been fighting the uh, metals markets here lately, and I, I, uh, everybody says, oh, the dollar doesn't have anything to do with it, but I disagree. Well. <laughs> I totally disagree. Yeah, you know, and, uh, that's that's hard <coughs> to argue. But how, how, how do you see that playing out, Dakin? You know, I kind of take the other side of Mark. I I don't think the dollar's done. Um, you know, I I think we could see you know 120. Um, I just think you know dollar tightness kind of begets tightness. There's a lot of demand for U.S. dollars right now. Um, you know, we see uh, we see what Argentina did with their Brazilian um, soybean exchange rate, you know, they're trying to secure U.S. dollars. You know, that that is something that we're going to continue to see as the dollar trends higher. Um, and it, I think it truly is just the global wrecking ball right now. Um, and I don't really see it slowing down. You know, it's probably going to be one of those things when uh, we do finally find a top, um, it's going to unwind quite quickly. But I, I think we keep going. And I don't argue that it could go to 120. Um, if you look at it, July 30th, it was at 92 um, Wednesday at its high, it was one, above 114, nearly 115. Um, and I'm not, you know, like I say, it might be the top. That might have been the top, but I, I, it could easily go to 120. Um, it's uh, just been on a real roll, and these and Europe has huge problems. Everywhere in the world has huge problems. <laughs> I mean, look at Iran. Um, everywhere you look, there's reasons to buy the dollar but it's had a hell of a run 92 to 115 so uh, i'm hopeful the top's in and uh we'll see i i find myself pretty concerned about all this foreign debt uh in do- dollar denominated debt and uh you know they're scrambling to get dollars and uh you know collateral collaterals being required in dollars and uh is even with all the trillions that are, uh, you know, been helicoptered out to the, you know, in this country, uh, it, it it's doesn't necessarily make sense. But there's there's definitely a dollar shortage out there. So, you know, how, how does that play out? I mean, shit, are we gonna are we gonna is the dollar gonna stay the uh, petrol uh, dollar? Or is it gonna uh, start reverting? And you know, Saudi Arabia is kind of a key to that linchpin. Um, so there's, there's just a hell of a lot of moving parts right now to say definitively one way or the other, and that's why it's just so darn hard to uh, have a real strong conviction and bias in, uh, in, in trading be- because of that reality. Um, it just be- creates more questions than it does answers. Um, that seems to be that seems to be the case. Um, but yeah, I, I hear both sides of that. And <laughs> Uh, I could uh, agree with either or, or both at the, on the, at the same time. So it's it's it it's just uh, it's perplexing to say the least. And there's just so many moving parts. So many I call them black swans, but a black swan is something you don't anticipate or don't see coming. And there's so many things out there that could evolve into something that uh, whether they're black swans or just different scenarios that would play out or or. It just there, there's just so many moving parts right now. I just have a hard time wrapping my head around it. And even if you can to have conviction as to what's going to how it's going to play out. So I, I, I think you know. I I just think the question you got to ask is: Do you think the funds uh, and the bigger money players believe the Fed's going to stay hawkish? If you think that the bigger money players are believing the Fed's going to stay hawkish, well, the dollar's going to keep moving higher. I mean, the Fed wants the dollar to move higher. There's not a, there's not a question in, in the world. So, I mean, the, the dollar acts as a natural inflationary hedge uh, just because it reduces the expense of the ex- imports coming in the United States. So every Fed official I've ever spoke with, or every time I've ever gone out and spoke at a Fed event, I mean, that when they're worried about inflation, they, they want the dollar to keep cooking and smoking higher. So... You're betting against the Fed if you're betting that this dollar is going to break and it's going to come down significantly because I think the Fed's going to have to stay hawkish. That's the bet. Does the Fed say, you're starting to see the Fed splinter a little bit, I think, now. I think you're starting to get some 
difference of opinion within the Fed on if they're going to stay aggressive or not stay aggressive. And that, I think that is the million-dollar question. And I don't know that answer. I mean, to me, it seems like you, you may just this late this week started to hear some splintering a little bit. And if the funds start to believe that they're wavering and they might be splintering, Mark could be right. Dollar could top out. Fed starts to back off a little bit, become a little more dovish. And shit, now all of a sudden we start to uh, get a tailwind a little bit for some exports, and, and we're looking good. But if they stay on this, they stay on this another three-quarter hike or another half, and continue into the middle of 23, like some people are saying, and you you keep pushing rates higher and higher, uh, and this dollar keeps moving up. I mean, damn guys, it's it's going to be it's going to be nutty because this is the first time in what how many years what a few decades, at least two decades, that you've had this kind of opportunity for money to find a new home and money to circulate in different ways. And it's, it's, I think it's going to be different. So that's the big what if. I, I just don't know how long the Fed has to stay on this hammer. So oh, you had the 30-year mortgage, what, at 7% this week? And that's a, yeah. that's a big turnaround. The two-year was trading what, four. 4.2, you had the 10-year trade up damn near to 4%. So, I, you know, 10-year trade, I mean, the money's definitely circulating and moving around. Well, and it's not just the Fed if they if they keep raising rates, but, you know, a QT is, uh, you know, equally, if, if not more, uh, you know, impactful on, 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 uh, on, on, on capital flows. And, uh, you know, they, they can accomplish almost as much, through QT than they can through uh, rising rates, right? Well, yeah. And that, you know, that brings into question, are we going to have a, a credit crisis? I mean, are you going to see some banks start to buckle up? There was shit, rumor mill of Credit Suisse was, uh, Credit Suisse was having issues and they might not have the, uh, the, the capital. And it's, it's like shit. You start getting some bigger banks to go globally, you know, a Lehman situation. Uh, I'm not saying that's going to happen here in the U S but I, I mean, it doesn't take much to get it, to get a runaway train happening. So I, I don't know. I, that's what I'm saying. I don't know if the Fed, that's where you saw the UK give the surprise move on Thursday. It's like, I, I don't know. Does the Fed start to look at that a little closer? Like, hey, shit, fastest rate hikes we've ever seen. And maybe they're putting the screws to it too tight. I, I don't know. I, I didn't. Let's let's ask. Their 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 mandate is to stop inflation or to slow inflation and get it back down to around that two percent level. Now, the question is, what, what, how do you do that with wage growth? The way wage growth is in, embedded at this point in time, I don't know if the Fed rate hikes are going to do that much to slow overall wage growth. Do you guys? I I think so purely from just an economic health standpoint, I mean, if we push ourselves into a recession, um, then yeah, I mean, I, th I think we will see wage growth. I think we'll see unemployment. Um, and I think that's what the Fed's trying to do. I mean, I think they recognize that, you know, we have supply chain constraints right now that we can't necessarily fix. And really the only tool that the Fed has is demand. And that's what they're going after. Yeah, I, I sit here, dang it. And, and, and Andy and Mark, I, I sit here and I, I talk to a lot of CEOs and a lot of people and, Everyone's had to just pay out, pay out, offer incentives, bonuses, this, that, and the other, to hire new people and to keep them. Well, no one, even though we're seeing contraction and everyone's seeing contraction, nobody wants to let their their people go now. So it's like everybody's hesitant to cut because, you know, you might not get the people back. The employee, The employees definitely still have the upper hand over the employers. And until that situation changes, I don't see how you – you jockey wage growth, and you you throw on top to get a little crazier thinking. This is the most the least loyal the American worker has ever been in the history of America. I mean, they don't give a shit. Most of them. I mean, it's like the most are working from home. They don't have that much camaraderie inside the office. They they really are fine with just jumping, quiet quitting, jumping from company to company, and they're doing it at a at a uptick. So I, I don't know. That's where I'm just like, I'm not sure rates slow that down for a year, maybe 18 months. Well, Kevin, you, you've written a few good pieces lately about, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the whole uh, gig economy. But, but 
you know how how you know the the workforce is demanding more home time less uh commuting time you know that kind of keeps some of the inflationary costs of uh you know just going back and forth to work down a bit but but at some point you know that, that's got to hit you know if you can't get wage control wages under control and you're not going to lay people off because you, you don't know if you can get them back when things turn well that that's just going to hit corporate earnings it has to because you can't keep that's passing I, it on that's what i think you know, that's why you and i are holding short s&p positions too though so <laughs> Best trade I made in a while. <laughs> oh man, I'm telling you, yeah, same here. Hell, that covered some of my other hiccups. So, yeah, I don't know, and that's what I said. I mean, you know, you get a corporate earning, you get a corporate earnings re- recession to some degree, where you squeeze profitability, which I believe you're going to probably squeeze profitability just because payroll is going to be too hot, too heavy uh, for what we're going to see as we go through a recessionary period, and I, you know, we're probably still overvalued. To what degree, I don't know. Andy, a lot to me just anymore. It's so tricky to predict time. You know, how far out is the market really looking? How far out are these headline traders, you know, the bigger traders looking? How, you know, what's the time frame on the quants and uh, some of the other trade? You know, the time is just tricky, you know. We knew in COVID that we were going to have to come back and pay the piper, but, you know, look how long that bull ran. I mean, holy shit. Yeah. You know, Wow crazy so you know you had to endure if you were short uh through all that and now here here we go this way so i i don't know i mean same with the uh same with the grain markets you know where where does that where does the time frame i guess uh of the bigger traders what where are we at how far out are we really trading that's i guess my big question you know so well, Mark, Mark, you spend a lot of time looking at, uh, um, you know, commemorative traders, and, uh, you know, it's kind of surprising, at least to me, how, how small the overall positions are, how, how overall open interest is versus a year ago is down. I mean, what, what, is, what, what kind of uh, smoke signals is that sending to you? I don't know. I, I am totally amazed at how little – participation there's been and how much the open interests went down just in general um, and you look at the numbers you know the funds are long but you know to Kevin's point they're not crazy long they've been longer um, I, I just am, I'm totally amazed at how like when wheat ran up and all the different stuff was going on there it didn't seem I mean you know there was a bunch of people in there that didn't know what they were doing but the open interest didn't get, you know, the commitment of traders. It just doesn't seem like as many people want to play in our sandbox. Um, I don't know why that is. I really honestly don't know why there's just so little interest. I can't answer that, Andy. You know, yeah, and I, I can't I either. It's... Yeah. I Jake, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I could speak to weed. It's probably a lot of people with PTSD um, from what happened in February and March. They just don't trust the market. You know, I, I guess I, I can certainly relate to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm a little surprised given balance sheets, you know, uh, corn's really tight. I'm surprised we don't have a bigger long uh, position in there. Um, but maybe it just goes back to everything we've been talking about, you know. Um, a lot of these global macro funds, they uh, – they play in a lot of different sandboxes and maybe they're just, you know, kind of pulling away from a lot right now, given the outlook of the economy, interest rates, uh, inflation, all that good stuff. I think, yeah, I, I think, yeah, just a lot of traditional S and D traders and you know, like you and Mark and through the years, I've just seen a lot of guys drop out. A lot of people drop out. You just, you don't feel like you maybe have an edge like you used to, uh, the information age. I mean, you guys used to have a lot of information. A lot of people didn't have that, didn't have in, in, in essence. And you knew a lot of uh, things and connections and, you know, you, just, you, you, you knew the markets and some of the key details better than people had access to. And I, I think you, you had opportunities more in spreads and to take advantage when those spreads got a little out of whack. And, you know, you just, I don't think that's there anymore. Do you, Andy, Mark? I mean, doesn't seem like it near as much. Well, the volume on the, if you watch, like, the spread trades, you know, um, go out there and try to do some no-no. 
um, any of this stuff where there used to be some liquidity, there's just not. And I don't know how much of it has to do with getting rid of the pit um, and other things, but the back-end spreads in the grains um, are ghost towns. You, you just can't. You can't. You can't get in because it's Hotel California. You can't get out. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's no doubt about that. And it, it's been, you know, coming for a while where all the volume is, uh, you know, in the top two months, um, most in the top month, and uh, you know that's all day trading volume kind of shit. Um, but yeah, you you go past you go. Uh, Two two uh, delivery three delivery periods out and it's yeah you got to take a number and and uh, wait for the sniffers to sniff you out and particularly if you try to trade too big that's just the one absolute rule that I've uh, I, I, I've adapted over the last three or four years uh, is you, 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 there's no way you can trade the size how I what I traded ten years ago on an average year versus now is maybe five or ten percent. And uh, I can have just as big equity swings today as I did then. So, you know, you, you, you're getting a lot more bang for your buck. You're, you're seeing bigger, you know, intermarket, uh, flat price moves, spread moves, you name it, um, in, a, in a given week or 10-day uh, period of time uh, that, you know, you used to see happen in a year. Um, so, you know, there's – it just doesn't feel like, it, it almost it kind of feels feels rudderless, frankly, at the moment in terms of uh, you know what's moving us. And Kevin, you talk headlines, and you know, yeah, that's a big deal. Um, but but it's you know how do you, how do you uh, trade with any conviction a headline um, because it isn't as good. It, it's only as good as the next headline, and so you know it, it really does take away some certainty. I mean, again, when you were trading. S and D's two plus two used to equal four. It doesn't anymore, and uh, so it makes it it makes it tougher. Uh, certainly more interesting, and seems like uh, a lot more things can affect uh, price direction than than it used to, um, because you got people out there hedging uh, in ways that never occurred before. Um, but you know that's just kind of that's welcome to the new world. Um, what uh, Kevin, you started uh, mentioned something about uh, Brazil and your thoughts on the election and how that could play out if Lula wins, um, and uh, you kind of see that as is a as a possibly a negative to uh, acreage. And what, what was your thinking there? I didn't quite understand. Yeah, well, my thinking is just. You're going to get macro traders or the headline traders, we'll call them again. The same people that jumped the wheat market and drove it to 13 bucks on the, you know, on the headlines of Russia invading Ukraine or, or however we want to play it out. Same group of people, as Mark would say. You know, maybe they don't know shit about the market. I don't know, but they, they definitely are willing to throw money that direction. All I'm saying is if you have CNBC running stories and showing mass chaos in Brazil, you're going to have – people that are managing a lot of money look for ways to possibly cross-hedge that risk. And cross-hedge just simply means it's so different when they're buying the wheat market into polar vortexes, afraid of Q1 earnings in, uh, in the stock market. I mean, they, they, you know, I mean, crazy shit like that. Uh, and, and we've seen that in the past. Remember, Andy? I mean, guys were sitting on huge stock uh, gains, and they were looking for ways to hedge uh, – polar vortex because it was going to impact Q1 earnings. So they're going out and getting long soft red winter wheat in a big way. Now ADM Carly were calling me like, well, what the hell? Why would we be going up like you? Well, you got big fund traders in Boston and New York just pumping shitloads of money over into a market that can't handle it. Well, here you sit. If everyone's going to try and cross-edge Brazil falling into pieces, I mean, <laughs> biggest exporter of soybeans in the world, uh, I suspect that you could see them want to get long beans just thinking you're not going to get you're not going to get movement you're going to have labor strike you're going to have all kinds of chaos you're not going to have a lot of movement of, of of product even though i understand you and i understand you know we've got the u.s harvest here we got beans we're going to start exporting blah 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 i'm just saying your headlines could be create a spark and you could have jim kramer on nbc talking about wow what would this do to soybeans and what you know you guys have seen it and 
That's all I'm saying. So, I mean, what I've heard out of Brazil in the last week is this: the tension over there now is much different than in the past, and it's more Civil War-like. And you have, you know, Lula versus uh, more of an extreme right on, on Bolsonaro. It's like he's made comments that he's not leaving if he loses. You know, we could have a whole who knows what. And that's where I was just saying, shit, I don't want to be sitting here holding a bunch of short bean positions and just thing get crazy and just sheer stupidity rallies at two bucks uh, on just cross edging across for me. So that's where I said I gotta I gotta step aside here a minute on this uh, on this side of it just in case Brazil does go off the chain. So <clears throat> that that's all I'm thinking along that line. So and I I don't know what type of time frame you know we run into on that front, but you know. Are you holding short beam positions, Andrew? You're not in anything. Close your eyes. What do you see? Nothing. <laughs> Zero data. I hear you. Yeah, no, that's all I'm saying. So, and if I'm a farmer and uh, you're sitting on beans and you feel like you're, you, you don't have enough price or you'd like, I mean, I would price into a rally on that. I don't think it's a rally that would probably be sustainable. Uh, it may last a week, two weeks, through. I, I don't know how long the headlines want to run and rip and talk about it, but I'm just seeing that's what moves the markets more these days than than a lot of things, you know, the, that headline pressure. So I started to see it pop up on the radar more. We track a lot of those types of things, and, you know, if that's starting to get a lot more playtime, I'm like, oh, God, if they're just going to show protest, you know, all kinds of crazy civil unrest and, and people killing people in Brazil, this could get nutty, so. We'll know tomorrow night, I guess. Tomorrow. Yeah, they, they probably aren't going to take uh, uh, three months to uh, figure out the results of an election. They're they're they're, <laughs> they're a third world country, unlike us. <laughs> yeah, I hear. Well, and that's kind of my comments. You guys, look at the wheat market. I, I said this to Jordan, uh, my son. We were arguing today about. The, okay, so when Ukraine, when Russia goes into Ukraine, pretty much the consensus across the board headline trading is it's going to be bullish wheat. We get a big push. You got a lot more bullish money flow coming into the space. Okay, well, now all of a sudden, I feel like I can't interpret the, the headline data out of the war, meaning Putin says he might use nukes. Well, the bears are sitting there saying, well, shit. You know, that, that 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 means we're probably one step closer to the end of this thing. And the bull's sitting there saying, oh, shit, that means, like, you know, maybe wheat really doesn't come out. We get no wheat out of Ukraine for a while, and maybe more people ban wheat out of Russia. So I'm saying as it's progressed, now all of a sudden you have the bulls and bears talking their own, you know, their own hand with every individual headline. So it's as if the headlines aren't having that much of an impact, and we're sitting here and just starting to chop around uh, and slosh around in this sideways pattern. So I, I can't interpret the war headlines worth a shit inning the last several weeks. I think something's going to be bullish, and it might not be, or I think it's bearish, and it might not be, just because both sides are now uh, picking up the cards and using them in their hands, so to speak. So I think in Brazil, if you get mass chaos and you get some type of major civil war or civil unrest, I think the initial knee-jerk, everyone lines up and believes it to be bullish soybeans. Once that, that's over with, that, that flurry, and then you may get people debating the headlines after that. But the initial would probably be more money flow coming in on the bullish side. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the war headlines now. Can you tell, Dagan, you guys that are trading, Dagan, when you're trading wheat, I mean, these war headlines, I mean, they're moving the markets, but shit, it's tough to interpret them. I, I would uh, I would tell you I, the way I look at wheat flat price moves lately is it's just purely random. I agree with you. I, I feel like I have zero edge in trying to project where wheat's going uh, in the next three weeks or even six months. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm with you. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, what gap. about input costs, guys? What, what what are we seeing there? I mean, you know, you can read stories from people who don't know what the hell they're talking about. Uh, uh, you know, and they just like talking headlines and whatnot, as we were talking about. But <laughs> what what is what where is our you know what what is the outlook for for fertilizer availability for for chemical availability? Um, you know, do we see anything there that's uh, problematic or concerning? 
I mean, I, I think fertilizer availability for the U.S. is not going to be a big deal, maybe for other parts of the world. Um, you know, I know the phosphates um, maybe we're a little short of here, but um, right now, I, I mean, you know, we, we do a spring application on our farm, um, and we're struggling to get anything contracted. I mean, we, we can't get anybody to willing to lock in prices on fertilizer this spring. So that is a little concerning. Um, we'd certainly like to get some risk covered on that, but um, – yeah, I mean, I think input, in, in, inputs are going to continue to stay high here, especially on the on the fertilizer side, until we get some of this geopolitical stuff behind us. Well, is it just yeah. geopolitical? I mean, you, you got uh, you know the Netherlands, Canada, all joining uh, you know arms with uh, Klaus Schwab and others that are uh, you know wanting to uh, you know cut back on nitrogen use and 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 all these kinds of things, and even a a small but uh, loud voice in the U.S. on that same subject. So, I mean, you know, is that going to – how's that going to play out? I mean, we saw how it played out in Sri Lanka, but how's it going to play out in the rest of the world? Uh, you know, I agree with you, uh, Dakin. We're going to be fine in this country just because of our internal uh, supplies and Canada is our neighbor. But, you know, South America, logistics getting things in and out, you know, Russia controlling so much of the horizontal and vertical on that front. Uh, I don't know. You know, my 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 two. Go ahead, go ahead, Dagan. I was just going to say, you know, we have governments pushing, you know, for less nitrogen use, you know, more more organic farming practices. That's all fine and dandy. Um, at the end of the day, the uh, the consumer is going to be the one who shoulders that cost. In my opinion. right. Through inflation, yeah. And that's in the U.S., okay? But I see a lot of stuff from people that I know that manage money and things like that, and they're convinced that the world is on the verge of a food crisis. And then you take a look at the USDA um, reports, and we're pretty tight. Um, you know, I know the S&D um, is tight. It, it, it's tight enough that I – and with the geopolitical risk, I just don't want to be short, especially wheat. Um, don't want to be short corn either. Um, and you get all this going on, and you start to have problems anywhere else, and they may actually have a little more of a case. Um, I tell them that they're worried about nothing, but if you start having problems somewhere else, we had a problem in South America or something like that then, um, some of the hype might become hard to ignore. Yeah, you know, I I, I totally agree. I, I mean, you've taken Europe as a net exporter of, of uh, inputs and fertilizer, and, I mean, now they're going to be an importer. And You think, uh, didn't they shut down the pipeline uh, to Italy this weekend? Uh gas pump did and I think you know you've already shut it down to the natural gas in other areas so there's no question that they're shutting down fertilizer and input uh, facilities across Europe and that's going to be a, a, a game changer to some degree globally uh, you have to believe for sure China's pulled back not exporting uh, theirs as well I think you know Russia is going to hold back uh, I, I you know I think inputs are going to stay tight and I think it's going to be a uh, going to be tricky. I think the expenses are, are going to, that's the reason I say that inflation is probably not going to break anytime soon is because if you look at, you know, when, when the Fed's looking at inflation, they're going to, they go food first because you got to eat food. You got to have shelter second and transportation third. Okay. Transportation costs have come down to some degree because you busted crude oil. If you've not busted uh, the grains, I mean, you're not probably going to for, for, at least from an input standpoint, globally. And uh, on the rents, they like to look at rents instead of home prices. Well, everybody's telling every kid and every new home buyer out there to just stay patient, don't buy anything, wait for housing prices to come down or rates to come down. So they're signing new leases at, at elevated rents and, and all the rent data lags for three months. So you're not going to see the CPI come down aggressively because of food and rent. And I... You know, I think Andy's long some crude oil. I'm long a little bit of crude oil down here. And that's why I think energy could go back up, honestly. I mean, where's your guys' stance on that one? Do you think crude could move higher, natural gas higher? We think we're going lower. I'm long energy stocks. Um, yeah. I think it's a good place to be.
you know, you got good companies paying big dividends and their um, metrics, you know, price to earnings, book, you know, book, all that kind of stuff, they're still cheap. Despite the yeah. fact that everybody's been, despite the fact that oil's up and most people are bullish, energy stocks are, I believe, they're kind of cheap. I, I would agree with that. It, it it seems to me that, you know, they're paying out more dividends, doing stock, stock buybacks, but but what they're not doing, uh, and they're being told by the government not to, uh, is is exploration. And and if you don't continue to feed that beast and, and continue to, to, you know, build out infrastructure and, 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 and you know, drill new holes, you're, you're, you're going to be behind the eight ball before you know it. And, you know, look at our strategic reserves and the need to replace that. And, and uh, I have a bigger um, love for, for crude oil and that, because of that reason, because it, it, it isn't as limited in its uh, destinations as natural gas, because, you know, we're, we can be an island onto ourselves and without more, you know, LNG export facilities, and we're, we've shut all that down, obviously. Um, you know, you, you know, natural gas in Europe, you do whatever it's going to do. Uh, it doesn't really impact, you know, what our opportunities are with our natural gas, because if you don't have LNG, you're not going anywhere with it. So I, 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 I'd rather be long crude than I would natural gas, I guess is my uh, moral, my story. Hmm. Interesting. And energy companies, too. I mean, hell, you know, we've, uh, I think we all have a lot of respect for uh, Joel Ross and his, uh, his perspective on the market and what he's been, you know, his, his track record is, speaks for itself. But, uh, you know, he, he's uh, heavily weighted in uh, – in energy stocks and loving the clip the coupons on the dividends and doesn't see that going away anytime soon. And I have a hard time arguing with that. You know, I feel like we were, uh, I, I, I made some money early getting long some energy stocks and then I started to put more in and it, it just feels like I've done nothing but give back a little bit in the last, it feels like the trade's overcrowded. That's all I'm saying. I mean, it feels like an overcrowded trade at this point And, I'm in total agreement with you guys. I'm sitting there trying to talk myself into staying in my positions and holding them longer term. It just, I don't know. It's I'm, I'm in them right now. I, I feel like, you know, the XLE even and, and some of the other uh, main, you know, you saw Buffett and them buying more Occidental uh, uh, this week. And I, I don't know. It's a, That's a tricky one for me. I, I just don't know how it plays out moving forward with actual money flow. You know, everyone knows that we're going to start to phase in more uh, alternative energy sources, and I don't know. I mean, that's it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with real money flow. Have we already seen the biggest push of the bull money flow into the space, and from here it starts to just slowly trickle out? And Daddy, like we were arguing the other day, it's hard for me to sit here bearish the stock market, and hold, holding short S and P positions, and I'm long crude. I mean, which I am, <laughs> but it's like. <laughs> It's like you're kissing your cousin. So it's like it's kind of crazy to this point. It's like, well, if the market's going to go into a full-blown recession, and I think this uh, that we're going to continue to, to move lower, very rarely do you see crude move aggressively higher into that type of overall uh, space uh, for the funds. You know, I mean, it'll just be a risk-off kind of across the board, and you'll see prices deteriorate uh, to some degree. So I, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. I mean, at some point, I'd like to believe that the Fed becomes a little less aggressive. The market takes that into anticipation. The stock market starts to move higher. Crude moves higher with it. That pulls the uh, corn, the dollar weakens, and uh, we get good exports, right? <laughs> Perfect world scenario. So I don't know. That's yeah, um, I agree with you, Kevin. I'm a, I certainly have not bailed into oil stocks, and partly because I wasn't already in them. Um, you know, it's a yeah. situation now where, They've, they've held up. The rest of the market's come down, and, you know, I'm starting to think there's more opportunity kind of trying to bottom pick some stuff that you really like as opposed to uh, chasing the yields and in, in, uh, energy and uh, slowing economy, slowing gasoline uh, demand scenario. Yeah, you always have to remind yourself as a trader. I mean, they have to do it in the fundamental. I mean, it doesn't – I mean, you have to have more buyers coming in the sellers to keep pushing prices higher, and my only question is, who in the hell is going to wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, shit, this might be a time to buy some energy stocks? I mean, 
<laughs> I think everybody that knew anything was already in them early, and now I think people are going to be exiting some energy stocks to buy something that's really been beaten the hell out of. That's what worries me. That's all I'm saying. That's, that's where I'm like, gosh, damn it, should I just be getting out of these things? I don't know. So that's, that's a tough one to call. So what do we think? We want to talk about favorite trades, Andy, or wrap this up? Yeah, sure. Sounds good. Yeah. Lead us off. Hell, I'll go for it. Yeah, you know, hell, my favorite trade. I'm probably looking at the back end again of, uh, gosh, and I just said I'm kind of very, I'm looking at the back end of energy, honestly. I like October 23. You can buy, nat, you got natural gas under five bucks right now. Uh, on, on, you know, we haven't been down that low. For, I'm just saying longer term, I feel like my risk to reward, we go a year next year, or you can look at even Jan 24, that gas, uh, if you want to get into something like that. I'm just saying they're beating the hell out of the back end to, uh, on the inverse to some degree. The front end, the ox, you know, the, the front end of natural gas is always a different animal. I, I don't – it's tough to predict how that's going to play out in the short term. I just sit there and say I think there's a lot of infrastructure problems globally. I think we're going to be a massive uh, exporter of natural gas here over these next 12 to 18 months. I don't know if that really tightens things or creates some headlines to – to create, uh, you know, so, so a bigger macro push back in. I don't, I, I'm just saying with the landscape the way it is. I also like the back end of crude. You got crude out there now in places, uh, you know, or you're under 70 bucks, you're 68 bucks. They may push that back end down closer to 60. And I just feel like, man, it, you know, if you if you wanted to, re you're going to be 20 bucks lower uh, down at $40 crude, or is there a chance you could be back to $80 crude and 90? And I, I think the back end, the risk to reward isn't all that bad. So I'm saying probably the back end of the energy is my position. Yeah. Andy? Yep. The back end eventually becomes the front end, right? You got it. So, and, uh, you know, that kind of plays out because, you know, we go into a recession or we get into, you know, a heavy economic downturn. Sure, you can uh, you can do that. And that, that might weigh on things in the front, but you know, eventually we come out of it, and uh, you know we're, we're still going to be left with a, a lack of infrastructure uh, development and uh, shortages, and uh, the reality that uh, that alternatives are not going to come close to solving our energy problem uh, in our lifetime. So, yeah, uh, yeah I would agree with that. That's um, yeah, hard to argue. Uh, Dakin, what do you see? What's your favorite trade? You know, i got to be honest, guys. I'm playing things pretty close to the vest right now. Uh, we talked about it earlier today, you know, looking for that edge. It's, uh, it seemed to be a bit tough in the grain markets lately. Um, you know, I was pretty bearish term structure in beans. Um, and that's kind of already played out here this last week with the barge freight, um, really kind of pushing that to probably sooner than we would have otherwise seen. Um, you know, I, I think you can be bearish term structure in, uh, in Chicago wheat. Um, it's just, you know, when to express that position so you don't get ran over. And we talked on that a lot too. So I, I'd say gun to my head, my favorite to, favorite trade out here right now is probably uh, being short-term structure in Chicago weed as long as you can uh, pick your spot. Short that against uh, uh, pr pr proteins? You like it against Kansas City? like it against Chicago or uh, Minneapolis or just like it outright? Uh, I, I'm saying more term structure, so... Um, you know, time, time structure on the curve. So um, I, I, I think we'll see carries move uh, out towards full financial here as we get a little closer to the end of uh, the DeSmart cycle here. Uh, and you can probably, I mean, I think you can continue to be bullish uh, KC Chicago as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mr. Bishop. Well, I still like the same old stuff that's been beating me over the head here for a while. Um, I like in energy, you guys haven't mentioned nuclear. Um, I like uranium. I like the little uh, mini nuclear plants that are coming up, a company called New Scale Power. Um, LEU is another one that I've – I mean, these things, the volatility on these things will blow your doors off. Um, I like those. And then I still, you know, like the miners. I, I think the dollar has been hurting them. Um, if the dollar turns around, I think they'll scream. 
And uh, fortunately, recently, I didn't do it soon enough. I lightened up quite a bit, but then I got back in too soon. And then lately, I've been um, hedging myself with being short the S&Ps and long the dollar. Um, so uh, I'm just patiently waiting for the dollar to turn down a little, and I think these things will do well. And uh, I think nuclear um, has a – unless something happens in Ukraine to turn everybody off again, I think nuclear – is a better answer than, for instance, windmills. Um, so that's where I'm at right now. Well, there's no doubt nuclear is uh, is the only long-term solution I can see to uh, to you know to our energy problems. Um, it's just a matter of will the world adapt and uh, adapt adopt it. And uh, you know, there that doesn't seem to be happening today. But I. I, I couldn't agree with you more that, that that needs to happen. I guess time will tell. Um, well, I guess I'll wrap it up and just, I don't have a strong bias or conviction. Um, you know, uh, you know, obviously uh, beans to corn had gotten out of whack, but it got a little bit more back in whack uh, yesterday. Um, I don't have a strong conviction. I, I'm keeping a, a hopeful eye on, on rice, but, but it's so far from being ready to, to, to become a reality, I think that, uh, you know, India, you got to watch that closely. I mean, that was the leading economic indicator on the, on the way up for wheat. Um, you know, they, they had uh, monsoon problems in the rice areas this year. Uh, they've put on the export tariff on rice. They stopped all sales of the broken rice, which was helping feed a lot of the, uh, and, and, and just the rice in general helps feed a lot of, uh, um, the poorer countries around the world, uh, and you know they're, they're uh, cutting off these exports is a big deal um, in, on the global picture, uh, and, and it has a lot of ramifications for civil and what rust and um, you know Arab Springs and all the other kind of things. So, but that, that in this country that's still you know five six months away from playing out or becoming a headline issue. Uh, because South America continues to undercut the U.S. by so much in this hemisphere. And, you know, what happens over there in, in Asia doesn't necessarily translate to the U.S. for some time, but it's something to keep an eye on. I don't, so I don't, other than that, I don't really have any uh, strong bias uh, in, the, in the gray market right now. But one thing's for sure, there will be great opportunities as we go forward um, because things will get out of whack, because things will trade too high or too low. And I would agree, Kevin, that, you know, the downside has more limits than the upside does um, for a host of reasons we discussed today. Uh, I do maintain, um, and, you know, I, I think that the uh, the stock market is going to continue to uh, become a domino and head down, and I, I, I don't roll out seeing a 3,000 kind of number come our way uh, in the S&Ps. And uh, I just... Uh, and staying bearish on the uh, overall ec economy and the uh, outlook for the uh, for the stock market. And um, above and beyond that, I I really enjoyed our conversation today. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, Kevin, do you want to wrap up any uh, final words? No, I think it was great. Mark and Duncan brought uh, a lot to the table and uh, I think gave everyone a lot to think about and good insight. And Hey, appreciate you guys taking the time. So, that's all I got, buddy. Thanks for having us. Yeah. 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 Thanks, Thanks Kevin. Have a great rest. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Mark.